The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 12th, and we are just scratching the surface of the NFL offseason. Taysom Hill news. We got some mailbags coming. There's no news about Taysom Hill, but we're going to talk about Taysom Hill today because it's like the hot thing in the NFL for some stupid reason. Uh, we are going to have mailbags. So I'm going to be out. I'm going to be gone on um, Thursday and Friday. We have pre-recorded mailbags with the Super Friends, uh, NF, AFC burning questions and NFC burning questions on Thursday and Friday. Make sure to check them out. If for some reason you want to leave a question for future mailbag uh, answering or just for any answering, uh, do so on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Any question will be answered. Uh, we also do Brady Quinn questions. We get a lot of those. Brady's like famous or something. And he's on the show today, which means it's a pow, 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 pow. Brady Quinn football show. What's Hump up? day. What's up, Will? Hump day. <laughs> like the camel coming through the office. <laughs> well, that's what some I, people I think about. Question. Other people think about some other stuff going on there, Will. Okay. Well, right. I mean, sure. <laughs> That's how you end up with three kids, man. <laughs> yeah. Hope day. Hope day. What up? Oh, man. So much to talk about. So much to talk about. You do have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the XFL as well. I thought it was very enjoyable the first weekend of XFL. I won some money on DFS, too. Did you? Was, yeah. Uh, we had uh, Elvin, Evan Silva breaking down the first week. Uh, last week's show. If you listen to the show, you probably want some cash because he had like Dan Williams uh, as a guy to target. And can, and we can hit I tell you who's those... going to win MVP? Yeah, uh, PJ Walker, quarterback for Houston. I'm just telling you right now, like he had a great preseason last year in Indy, and he possesses like all the skills and traits that are going to be needed in this league to be able to win. Because I do think, like you look at Matt McGloin, for example, for the New York Guardians, like he's a good player. I think he can distribute the football well. The problem is. You know, the offensive line play is going to break down and you're going to have to be athletic. And that's where like PJ Walker to me is going to be able to end up, you know, impacting games much more so with his legs and arm. Uh, but that is my early shot, early call to win MVP of the league. Okay. Uh, and, and of course we're talking about the Houston Roughnecks quarterback. That's correct. Right. right. Yeah. They, they, they just got Pepper Johnson fired. He was, um, the <laughs> LA, what's their mascot's name? Wildcats. Wildcats. Yeah. He just got Pepper Johnson, their defensive coordinator fired. So. You know, uh, Pepper Johnson, widely considered the uh, greatest defensive coordinator in L.A. Wildcats franchise history. That is right, because he's the only <laughs> he defensive fired. coordinator in the L.A. Wildcats history, as of now. Um, yeah. the uh, If you had to pick one coach, so like, I, know you, I know you mentioned Walker. Right. But if you had to pick like Bob Stoops and Hal, Mom, Hal Mummy, or, um, or would you rather go with June Jones and Chris Miller for XFL purposes? Uh, well... Uh, Pep Hamilton, who would be who I would pick to want to play for. 
Um, oh. just the dialogue, listening to him talk to Cardale Jones and just how he handled even the media. Cause you know, that, that's, that's what, that's more like your style, like that you played with, right? Like a pro style type of system. Yeah. But it's also just, I think how he coaches the quarterbacks and like how he coaches the players in the team. Like I love his demeanor. He's always kind of using everything as like a teaching moment. And, and I think that comes across well in the broadcast too, which is like one of the coolest things about the XFL outside of the rules that yes. we can talk about that in a minute. Is the exposure. I mean, you're going up and talking to defensive backs. At one point, Jenny Taft was like on the sideline for the New York Guardians. She ran up to try to grab one of the safeties. And, and there was like a, a sudden change and he had to run back out of the field. The only, he like kind of murmured something to her, but that was about it. But it's just cool to be able to get that much like insight into what's happening in game in real time. Uh, something that the NFL, I wonder if they would actually allow just because they're so guarded and they don't want any information getting out there because Everyone's fearful it's going to be used against you. Meanwhile, we've got these coaches calling plays to to a national audience, and there seems doesn't seem to be an issue with that. You know, it, it, just to that point, though, I think it is interesting. Like Pep Hamilton, by virtue of taking this job and doing that, is going to open himself up for potential NFL head coaching big jobs. time. Whereas, like he might, like you know, the guy who you know was a smart offensive mind who worked for like Jim Harbaugh and then made you know was of course in Indianapolis and all these other places um you know like you don't know about his personality as much if you don't didn't play for him or like work closely with him as as a like a reporter for the team or something like that and so like this is an opportunity for other coaches for other owners and especially i think in a time when we're lamenting the lack of minority hirings there's a really good opportunity to show some personality on the sidelines this is going to be good for everyone Everyone yep. involved. It's good for Pep Hamilton and any other coach that's trying to make a case for himself why he should either be a play caller or a head coach of the NFL. It's good for young coaches to cut their teeth who maybe have been uh, quality control or a position group that are now getting the chance to call plays on one side. Um, it's good for players, obviously, to get the reps and to get the film out there so they have a better shot of getting signed in the NFL. But also the officials, also the broadcast crews. I mean, Greg Olson, who's called some games and been involved – I believe in the three-man booth in the past for Fox. Now he was yep. with Fox and Kevin Burkhardt as a two-man booth. So if he does decide to hang it up, you know he, that's going to be his partner. He's going to get reps. He's going to be more prepared for the NFL season when that time comes than he would have been beforehand. And even for like the people behind the scenes, the directors, the producers, like these leagues are so good for all parties involved. It's why I hated the fact that the NFL got rid of the NFL Europe because it wasn't that costly of a venture. And I do think it helped to spread the game internationally. It's one of the reasons why there's a decent following there in London and that can host well, however many games it is a year now there. So, I, I, look, I, I don't want this to sound like hyperbole. I do think this league's going to last. I think it felt different than the AAF, but similar in the sense of it's that down period where we need football, we love football. How many people watch? What, two and a half, three million people for the first yeah, week? It was like, it was, yeah, I think it was like average three million a pop, which is – it's it was incredible. Like better than, like, it was better than the top NBA game on, on oh, ESPN. Don't which... even, hey, we'll never bring in another professional sports league, okay? That doesn't involve football at this point because football is king. Football owns everything right now in America. Like, people right. can't get enough. I know, but I mean, like, that's the point. It's like, we like football so much, we're willing to watch the XFL. And great, it's new. I want to see how it does in the second week. Uh, Seattle, DC averaged 3.3 million viewers on Saturday. St. Louis, Dallas. Average two point five million dollars, two two point five million viewers on Sunday, um, and that Seattle DC game, which was an entertaining game, and um, the crowd was awesome, uh, peaked at four million at the end of the game. 
I do think you'll see a little bit of a drop off in the second week, but huh. you, it's like a week or like, for example, one of the games I've got to call, I think it was on FS2. I don't even think I have FS2. So I'm not exactly right. sure how that game's going to rate considering, you know what? I, I can't tell you where to find it. Everybody has FS2 and they don't know it. It's in a weird spot in your cable package. Is it? I swear it's like 312 or something like that. Like something really weird. When we get done with this podcast, can you take me through a tutorial of how to find it? Because I have tried to tell my wife that at times. Because when I was calling games, sometimes if it was an FS1 game, it might start on FS2 or like Fox, you know, business channel before it transitions over. Like there's been times when you're in delays and stuff that happens. And she's like, yeah, I can't find it. I'm like, all right, well, we got to figure this out at some point. It is uh, channel 618 on DirecTV. So, all like, right. as far as possible from FS1 and CBS Sports Network and all the other uh, uh, channels like that. Time Warner, it's, like, right around the 400s, I think. This is from a Googling what channel is FS1 on. But, yeah, it's it's hard to find. Uh, I'm excited to see. What, what game are you calling on FS2? Um, that might be the first one. I think I have Tampa Bay. It's, like, March 14th. So uh, I, I haven't even really looked at it. You know, to be. Oh, you, don't have an, you don't have an XFL game till March. I don't have one till March. That's right. We've 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 got a child who's going to be coming into the world here rather shortly. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, the child will probably already already be born by then. Um, given uh, that this podcast is for when this is Wednesday, February twelfth. That's correct. And so February twelfth, okay. the baby will be coming out. If you know what I mean, it's a it's a scheduled oh. C section. Not to give away too many details. So so. Today, so as people are li- people will be listening in the morning at some point today, make sure and tweet at Brady Quinn. Is it at Brady underscore Quinn? Or at Brady, Brady Quinn? underscore Quinn. That's right. Um, that I am predicting the future. I'm predicting that I will have a child today. So when you're listening so maybe, to this, I will just, I, we'll have a family of of five. Maybe wait until Brady posts about it. Okay, you know that's that's <laughs> just a good thing when it comes to children. Family of five. So your oldest is four? he's three and a half, not quite four. Oh. God, yeah, it, I, I don't know. Everyone keeps asking me that. We'll have three under <laughs> yeah. four. It'll be absolute chaos. Uh, fortunately, our oldest is out of diapers. Our youngest is actually kind of good at going to the potty, um, on the potty, not having the, but she can't communicate really well. So we don't necessarily know when that moment's going to happen. So, uh, she's do still we, in diapers. Is this, is this third girl? We don't know. We do not we know. Die. So again, when you're listening to this, that, that is that's the one thing you will not know is what gender the child is. Okay. Um, you know what? We don't need to talk discuss about like I don't know. You want a boy, boy, girl? What do you what do you think? What do you? Uh, I, I would say this. My my experience with having two girls so far is I do not need to have a boy. Uh, I actually want a boy though for my wife because she you can tell there's just that like father daughter connection and I think she feels like she's missing out on that a little bit. Um, and and my thing is. Like I, I, I see like my older, um, my older sister and brother-in-law, you know, they have three boys. They had a girl first and three boys and it's chaos. My that, little sister uh, is that AJ. A- yeah. AJ Hawks. Yeah. AJ yeah. Hawks. Between little, uh, little baby Hawks. Yeah. Um, between Hendrix and veteran Axel, those guys, it's like a, it's like a nonstop wrestling match every I, night I'm, before. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to have to give me AJ Hawk's children's names again. Was That's that right. Hendrix? They're all, they're all Axel. named. They're all named after musical performers. Vetter, Axel and Hendrix. That is awesome. Right. And their oldest is Lennon. So the, the oldest is a girl named Lennon, but obviously John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Vetter, and then Axel Rose. Okay. I know we're, this is a tangent, tangent that we're going off of. I don't care. I need, I need more on this. Is your, was your diva is like, fuck oh, God. Stella. What did, is your sister a big music fan or was this like an AJ Hawk thing that he could so like, I would want like, you know, I would like, I would want to like get sports stuff into my kids names, but 
my wife ain't having that. And plus, we, you know, I got a junior with Robbie, so I'm perfectly fine with that. I got, I got everything I needed. But I'm just curious, like, what the dynamic was there with your sister and yeah, AJ. Yeah, I think they were both big music fans. Probably not the biggest, but I think they're fans, and I think they wanted to name them unique names. So there's a mixture of, you know, the the fandom in it, but also um, like the middle names or family names, that sort of thing. So. I think it's a combination of it. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure who was the bigger music fan between the two. If I had to guess, I'd say it was AJ over Laura, but I could be wrong because my sister is, um, talented from a, a, a musical standpoint. Like she can play the piano. She was a good singer when she was young. She did all that kind of stuff. So, um, I'm not exactly sure who kind of led the way there. I, I guess if I had to sit back and guess, I may actually say my older sister because she's very much a type A personality and tends to be, um, you know, kind of at the forefront of stuff of trying to make those decisions. Uh, well, so, see, that was sort of what yeah. I was getting at is typically yeah. speaking, the husband cannot just simply flex on four baby names and get, and get what he wants. <laughs> Although they're, they're, they're right. badass names. And that's why I feel like AJ yeah. definitely had a piece in that as opposed to Laura, because Laura wouldn't make them as badass of names as they are. So that's where I'm like, ah, maybe it was more AJ. I mean, yeah, Axel is, is – but, like, all four vocalists, though, that's interesting, too, right? Like, Lennon right. was – you know, obviously sang uh, – Hendrix was – you know, I mean, Axel, who I yeah. saw a couple of weeks ago. Well, and, if you're going to uh, be in a band, you got to be the lead man, man. Come on. got to have some right. stage no, presence and all that, yeah. Look, those are alpha names. Big time. That's kind of cool. What a fun fact. So back to the XFL. <laughs> what uh, what do you think the NFL can learn from the XFL? Because I, th- I think there's a lot to be taken from. So we mentioned the the interviews. I think one thing to me that stood out was the transparency and replay. And they didn't get everything right, right, but at least we saw under like behind the curtain. Like it's nice to see what's going on and to see the thought process and to understand why or why not the replay process is flawed. I think the NFL could benefit big time from that. They definitely could. Although here is some of the criticism that I heard, and I and I do agree with this to, to a degree. It could take a while, though, to come to the conclusion. And so some people were like, oh, you could just put a shot clock on it, right? Make it two minutes, and that's all the replay official has to review it. Well, for starters, aren't we trying to get these calls right? And so if you're reviewing every single play to make sure you get them right, uh, you got to pick. You, you can't be fast in one aspect and then not do a quality job in getting the call right. And the other thing is, is you're at the mercy of the networks who are producing uh, this broadcast. So – if they're having a harder time getting you the replay or getting you an angle, you know, that's out of their hands. It's out of their control. It's, it's, it's the, it's the TV network that you're partnering with. And so, for example, there was a play, and I, I do believe it was in the New York Guardians game where there was a catch, fumble, and then it was returned for a touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem with that was, is, that, you know, that, that it was great. You got, got to see the transparency of, I believe his name was Robert Lou. He was talking about, the process of the catch, which in the XFL it's different than the NFL, it only has to be one foot. Um, so he caught the football, took a step, and then started to spin and make a, a football move uh, or act common to, the, to, to football or common to the game is how Dean Blandino would explain it. And the ball came out. So they're reviewing that portion of it. Then they're like, oh, okay, now we have to go look at the return to see if it was a touchdown. And so then that was like a separate process, and you're like, okay, this was cool for a minute, and now I'm like, all right, I'm kind of bored, kind of want to move on and see what happens after this. So – that's that's the only concern with the transparency. It's great, but I think the amount of time, right, you've got a guy in a booth where you're really just shooting the back of his head, uh, it's not going to be great television. So they've got to figure out a way of speeding up that process. The last thing I'll say is they, if they do do this in the NFL, if they implement it, they need to implement the same camera angles or they just get the side and back of the guy's head 
because if he makes a controversial call and that changes the game or loses someone some money who's betting on this, you don't want the guy's face to be seen on TV. So <laughs> that's going to be the biggest key is making sure you keep the back of the head angle where it's just pointed at the screen that he's looking at. How about the fact that like even in even like ESPN's Twitter handles and everybody was like, bro, this league is so sick. They watch film with Xbox controllers. It's like that's what everybody watches film with. Like, right? I mean, that, I mean, like you have a clicker, obviously, but like tons of pe- tons of teams and leagues and players used an Xbox controller to watch film, right? Um, maybe some other players would use that. I always use what was just called the cowboy, which is like the usual remote that you have, the little clicker. That's usually what, what I always use. So, uh, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I do realize like that's a way of watching it, but, um, I'm trying to think of how they would end up downloading the film. Cause like as players, you always had iPads. Um, yeah. usually back in the day, you're getting like discs and then really you just, we'd stay at the, the facility because you'd be able to run through film faster. And so what you do is, You'd buy a computer, you'd have them load up the film on that, then you'd go home, have your own cowboy, your own remote to run through it. That was always the fastest, most efficient way, but uh, as as technology improved, it really just went down to iPads. I, I was heard like a lot of people would get for draft stuff, people who worked at like NFL media and things, would get basically like a preloaded Xbox with everybody's not or like an Xbox or like a hard drive that you could plug into the TV, you know. But it was it was like an Xbox style controller that you could just fly around and watch all the different conferences and stuff like that. So maybe I'm just saying, maybe it's a little similar. Anyway, um, kickoffs. Why is this not a thing? This NFL should have already made this change. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's one week. And I think if we look at the early onset of it, we got more returns, right? Like I think 90% of the kicks or something like that were returned. So that, that's what's one of the biggest keys is you're changing it. You're keeping it a safer play. You know, 10 guys are all lined up across from each other five yards apart. They can't move till the ball hits the ground or the ball is caught. You're penalizing the kicking team if they don't put the ball in a certain spot, which is huge because it almost forces them to basically kick the football accurately and then to a spot where you get a return. My only issue with, with the setup is you're going to get a lot of sideline returns. And the reason being is there's not enough time for the blockers for the return team to be able to cross block and create seams in the middle. So you're basically going to get a guy catching and then running one side or the other. Now, I don't know if teams will get creative and start trying to do reverses or different things or if they will try to implement some sort of cross blocks to create some sort of lane in the middle. But that's the only thing is, is like, it's great. We got a kickoff and we've got one that's safe and we're not getting guys hurt, but we're also getting guys who just basically angle and run towards the sidelines and that's the end of it. All right. That's a fair point. I'm trying to think of other stuff I liked. Oh, the extra point thing I kind of dig, but I feel like that's the three point. I don't. Did anybody really try a three point extra pointer? I don't think the games are yeah. really close enough. There was, I, yeah, I want to say there was at least one that I remember because there was a team that scored. Um, gosh, it was a, it was um, what game was no, it? No, Debo says zero three pointers. Four of eleven. I don't, I don't think they converted any. I think one team tried. Well, that's the other thing is good luck trying to find stats for this. By the way. Dude, you can't find any stats. Well, that's why I, I 100% remember watching one of the games because it started off where there was a couple of field goals for the one team. that It might have been Tampa. And then who did Tampa play this past weekend? Uh, Tampa oh, yeah. played – Was it the Guardians? Uh, I thought the Guardians yeah. tried for then a three-point conversion. Or maybe it was a later game. I can't remember. And honestly, it felt like a blur trying to take it all in. But I, I did I – didn't, did you watch every single game? I tried to watch as much as I could. Because you know what I was really curious to see is how each network would handle the broadcast – like one yeah. thing that stood out with listening to the coaches and the players talk was like ESPN almost left or ABC almost like left their mics open. And they had yeah. so many people down there for that Saturday game, the first game 
that at one point I was like, I don't know who's talking at this point. Like, I don't know if that's the coach or because there's so many people talking. They're kind of talking over like each a, other. It felt like a bowl game. Right. In the Bahamas or something. Right. Where it's just like loosey goosey, like everybody's in Hawaii. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a cool atmosphere, but it didn't feel like a buttoned up broadcast per se. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, look, I'm biased, but I thought Fox handled it better than, than ESPN did at least week one with that. I'm sure they'll clean things up moving forward, but, um, the three point conversion thing is interesting though, only because you see these games that look like they're out of hand and you're like, Oh wait, actually it's only like still a two, two score game okay. if they can score and get two three point conversions after a couple scores. So, I don't mind that element of it. Um, but as far as the rules go, like I, I honestly, I think the kickoff thing is the, is the biggest one that could get implemented at the NFL level. Uh, maybe even potentially the onside kick of that fourth and 15 from your own 15. That's one too that it's something to monitor. The, the three point conversion is, is interesting though. Cause I think over time, I'll be curious to see what teams choose to do to see if it's, if it is worth the risk. Because my initial thought is when you get down really close, you know, it makes it easier for defenses to play coverages that are pass coverages, but allow the force players to be up there close to the line of scrimmage to stop the run. So they have the best of both worlds, right? And they don't have to worry about getting beat behind them because there's not much room. So it makes it actually easier on the defense in that respect, even though they're closer to scoring. And so for the offense, like if you're on the 10, you don't mind being on the 10 versus the five. Like one of the toughest place to call um, plays, especially passing plays, is like fifteen, the fifteen to the ten. Like you're in no man's land. So yeah. a lot of coordinators and play callers in the NFL would say that that down in distance, usually we just run the football because it's it's so weird and so awkward to call a play. Because let's say you're on like the twelve, somewhere else you end up kind of breaking at the twelve, right, a post or something like that. And usually those guys, those DBs, are squatting on the goal line right at that that break point, and so it becomes hard to get any sort of separation. So. You know, from that standpoint, I'm curious to see how many teams will be aggressive and take the shot for a three point, knowing that even though it gives you a little bit extra room, it is kind of hard to run different passing concepts. Without getting into the nitty gritty of each game, unless you want to, Brady, I'm curious what you think about, um, to like look so at Debo's like, Debo saying, by the way, there was no three point conversion. So maybe I just heard that wrong. That's all right. I mean, it's not your fault. Um, so like, like I'm looking at these DFS prices for these, like you know, like daily fantasy, where you can just you have like a salary cap, you have to pick certain guys. Like Noah Spruce, who um, Nelson had, Spruce, Nelson Spruce, excuse me, yeah. not Noah Spence is the passer right there. Right. He had 15, targets, 11 catches, yeah. 103 yards, no touchdowns. He'll be in He's New England now, next year, right? What's that? He'll be in New England next year as a slot somewhere. <laughs> Tall white guy. Um, <laughs> he is. Uh, he's the most expensive receiver in, on DraftKings for week two. Do you think that sort of stuff is like an overreaction? Hundred percent. Of course, I mean, of course it is. But like, how like, how do you think? How much do you think week one tells us about who will be impactful in week two uh, on the XFL level, if if any? Yeah, I don't think it will tell you much. I think as far as the teams that dominate, at least from a defensive standpoint, um, and and really at the line of scrimmage more so, I think you'll you'll continue to see that trend play out. Uh, I th- I do think there's going to be value, and again, like looking at a guy like PJ Walker. You know, he tore up LA. They fired the, he's now, he's now the most expensive quarterback. Right. And, and he should be. Like I said, I, I do think he's going to end up winning MVP. That cat's out of the bag. But for a guy like Nelson Spruce, I don't know who LA plays this, this upcoming weekend. Uh, you, they get Dallas. Yeah. So Bob Stoops, I can promise you, promise you, he's going to ensure that Nelson Spruce doesn't have a big game. And so they'll do all they can to give him the football and the way the rules set up with the double forward pass and all the different things that they can do, especially with the pace of the game. Um, he'll get some touches, but 
Bob Stoops is a defensive mind guy. He's going to try to take away Spurs and see who else can beat them. So, uh, by the way, that's the other thing I really like about the game. Uh, the pace of play. I, I, do, I do think it's, it forces the play callers to cut down the actual language and the verbiage they use, but also the pace of play. It makes it more engaging. It's a faster game. And I think it keeps your attention more. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, like it, I felt like the AAF when it, when it came out last year. And again, like we thought, we thought it was a pretty good product, but it was like, it didn't feel as quick. And it's like, this has, it has like an arena league style. I don't know how to explain it. It just, it does feel like entertaining. Like even if you don't know these guys, like you're seeing like enough, you know, like Cardell, Cardell Jones right. is making the throws you need to see him make to make like to, to entertain you visually. It's not like a slog out there, especially in week one. Although there wasn't a ton of scoring. No. In every single- Which usually the defense is going to be ahead of the offense. And I will say this, there's, more guys who are walking around the streets who are trying to get in the NFL who are fast and athletic and play defense than there are guys on offense, right, that are in that position. Because if you're fast and, and, and you can play, you're probably on a practice squad or in the NFL. Like, so we had, we were privy to, to watching practice film, uh, in, in preparation for the XFL. So I've got practice film. I was looking through it and my first thought was that I was like, all right, I wonder how good the skill players are that the quarterbacks gonna be throwing to because you know, again, we see guys who sometimes come off the street as defensive back and they can get the job done. Whereas, you know, a wide receiver, it's a little bit more difficult, right? To understand an offense, learn an offense, route running and all that. The one common denominator is in one-on-ones, that's an offensive drill. Usually a quarterback and a wide receiver should absolutely torch every defensive back in one-on-one drills. Okay. With the exception of like your all-time greats. Watching it, it was, it was apparent that every, every group of wide receivers was having a hard time separating. And it's because they don't have that type of blazing speed that you see in the NFL because those guys are probably already there if they run a, a, you know, sub 4-4 or a 4-4, um, you know, something like that. So that was one thing that I think attributed a little bit to the fact that you're not getting a ton of separation when you saw a touchdown pass or a big play. Someone fell down. There's a blown coverage or a miscommunication. And, and that's just kind of the, what you're working with. Maybe that'll change in the future, but you know, as it stands right now, I do think you're going to see the defense be ahead of these guys. Uh, moving forward, uh, and I think they're, you know, those defensive guys, you know, uh, there'll probably be more defensive guys having a shot to play in the NFL, I think, than offensive guys, maybe outside of the, uh, the quarterbacks and offensive linemen. Um, again, sort of like spinning this just from a DFS angle, cause like, I find it, I find it, fa- like, I think this is in, and Evan mentioned this on last Friday's show. I just think it's fascinating. This is the AAF messed up here. They didn't have DraftKings or FanDuel. And like, to me, if you can incorporate that, like, it's not gambling. And they put the lines up on the screen. I love that. Like oh, if somebody walks in, yeah. they're not like, Hey, what's the line on this game? It's like, it's right there in front of you, pop. Right. Uh, you know, like that, that to me is good. And, and you know, everybody's gambling on it. I think the NFL will get there eventually, but it'll, it'll probably be a few years before they do. But so from what one thing I seem to notice was that it was really hard to run in the XFL. Like I thought the running backs really looked like they had a hard time getting loose and maybe that's just an offensive line defensive line situation but from like if i'm building out a dfs roster you get one quarterback one running back two wide receivers and then two flexes and at both least on wide receivers eight, yeah four wide receivers right right and, and it's point per reception too so like i'm just going to buy a cheap running back who might catch some passes and then load up on wide receivers that's the play right no it's 100 percent the play and, and i would add, yeah like to your point i would lean towards a running back that can catch the football in the screen game because yeah. much like we see at the NFL level, if you every single snap at the NFL said, all right, this offensive line has to go against this defensive front one-on-one, right? The defense would win 
all, nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten. Okay, these guys are bigger, stronger, faster. They're better athletes. And and what happens is the NFL is kind of void of having these offensive linemen who are prepared at the NFL level, and so they're they're reaching, they're taking guys, they're trying to convert defensive linemen who didn't make it in the NFL as a defensive lineman into offensive linemen for that reason. So that same disparity you have in the NFL as far as finding like ready offensive linemen, it's the same thing you see in the XFL. The defensive line is better than the offensive line. So uh, you're much better off in da- from a daily fantasy standpoint because it's going to be more of a passing league. I think teams are going to have a hard time running the football. And by the way, if you're a coach too and you're calling plays, don't you want to try to make a name for yourself? Maybe you can you know, roll this into something else. So you got a quarterback, you can throw the football, utilize the skill players and the, the talent on the outside. I think that's the easiest way of scoring points. So uh, I would take four wide receivers. I'd take two, the two flex as well as the two wide receivers you get and find a running back who catches screens or catches the ball out of the backfield well. Uh, the highest rushing yards per attempt uh, in in the XFL week one. By the way, R.J. White put together a little handy stat. I can I can share this with you if you want. Um, Tampa Bay averaged five yards per rush attempt, I believe. Right, but you you probably included Quentin Flowers, their quarterback, who mixed in um, with Aaron Murray in that game. So that yep. you know that that skews it a little bit. But then moving forward, if Quentin takes over, which I, I do expect him to. Um, they're probably going to be running the football more, at least the quarterback spot. Even though it, like, it took a while to, to actually let him run the football in that game, which was interesting by uh, Mark Tressman. Uh, and then uh, Dallas had 4.83 yards per attempt, but they only rushed the ball 13 or 12 times in that game. We saw Seattle with 4.6 yards per attempt, 21 rushes. And then uh, St. Louis had 4.55 rushing yards per attempt, 42 rushes in that game. There's just, I mean, two teams had more than 30 rushes in, the, in, in each of their games. So, I mean, I think. Uh, that is that is a good lesson that maybe you should not expect uh, a ton of rushing yards in these games. So, well, the last thing, real quick, just philosophically, it's harder to teach proper blocking and and how you're going to handle different fronts and all that. It's harder to, to install and run run plays and do them effectively. And so, if you're looking at these guys' game plans, I would imagine this is just a guess. They're probably not overly complicated. It's a lot of zone blocking schemes. They probably have a couple gap blocking schemes in there mixed in as well. Um, but for the most part, it's that. And it's a limited amount. And they, these coaches are probably saying, let's coach them up where they can block it no matter what the look is. And, and, and that, you know, we can run these well when we need to run it. But outside of that, it's easier to teach these guys, you know, pass blocking and install pass play than is a running play. So that also plays a part in any sort of like startup league or spring league. All right. Wow. That's good stuff. Um, Saturday, the Guardians at the Defenders. The Defenders are minus five and a half, and the over/under is forty-nine. Do you have any thoughts on that game or uh, that spread? Uh, These odds, of course, from William Hill, our brand new partner here at CBS Sports. Excited to work with old Billy. How dope is that, man? One of the best in the biz. We get the opportunity to to partner up and work with them. Uh, I love it. I, I love every bit of it. So, uh, opening thoughts on it. You know. I, I thought it was interesting because everyone was like, oh, you know, how close they were with the first game. I think the over-intercept is like 52 and a half. We've never seen, um, you know, these teams play before. And I think they hit like 50 on the dot. Is that what the final score was, 31-19 in the first game? And, and like it should have gone over, but then there was like a crazy – there was some kind of crazy play near the goal line that ended up not being – like they didn't score. And so it was something XFL-related that caused them not to score anyway. Exactly. So – uh, we gave them all the props in the world for that. And then you see like these other games where like they don't even come close to the over under like the, the rest of the weekend. Um, maybe the exception of a couple. So, so, so my DC defenders are five and a half point favorites over the, uh, New York guardians in, uh, week two. 
Yeah, so I actually like um I like DC in that regard. Uh I think I would I think I'd I'd lay the points. And I also think this one hits the over. Ooh. I do. I think this one hits the over. Now, the the thing you gotta be concerned with is the weather wasn't that bad last week That's in the point. northeast, if you want to consider that. So my only hesitation is not knowing what the weather is this time of year, because again, we're talking about spring league and if you go back to the AAF those teams typically played in like a little bit warmer weather spots. Like these teams will be playing outside in the elements. So that could play a factor. I think if you get some bad weather, then you're looking at potentially some sloppy football. So then I, I then I'd be looking at taking the other under. So it depends on how that weather is going to impact the game. Currently looking like it will be cold, but nice on Saturday in Washington, DC. This is of course a well in advance, a five day forecast. So don't take it for, you know, don't take it as a guaranteed thing. Uh, the, uh, Tampa Bay Vipers, Mark Tressman, the passionate Mark Tressman and the Tampa Bay Vipers, uh, head to Seattle to play. Oh my God. Tressman Sorn? The, That's the passion. Right. That's right. A lot of West Coast <laughs> there, man. The sidelines. A lot of West Coast there. Yeah. And, and the Vipers, it'll be interesting to see what they do at quarterback. I said a moment ago, you know, Aaron Murray didn't play great when, when Quentin came in. He really did provide a spark for them. So I would imagine he'll end up being the quarterback and you'll see Mark Tressman utilize his ability to run the football more. Uh, this is a slammer jammer under 48. Yeah, I would, under. I would take the under in this. I, I do think Tampa will be able to score some points with flowers. I, you know, I, and I, I look, if, if you actually looked at the Seattle team last week, they moved the football well. It's just they got down in the red zone and they had a hard oh. time scoring, which again, when you get in that down to that condensed portion of the field, you need a lot of reps, a lot of time to develop the chemistry and the timing that you need to, especially in the passing game. So we talked about earlier, if you're not going to run the football effectively, at least and not include the quarterback as part of that. It's going to be tough to then be able to, you know, get the football in the end zone if you're, unless you're getting big plays, which we didn't see much of that either. So, uh, I, I would take the Vipers in that game. And I also think, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think it hits the under. Uh, and then finally two games on Sunday, Renegades minus three and a half at the Wildcats. I'm still getting used to which team. I need, I like, I think it was like, I need to say Dallas at LA, Dallas minus three and a half. And then, uh, Houston minus seven at home against. Uh, St. Louis, the Battle Hawks. Who can run like the football a little bit. They actually try to run the football and they will do that. Um, I like, like I've said before, I love PJ Walker in this league. I think it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, steamroll into something else for them. So I'd lay the points on that when I take the favorite and I, I'd take the roughnecks. Uh, I, I like Dallas to also cover their three and a half spread versus LA. You just don't know what to expect considering you just fired Pepper Johnson and Winston Moss will probably take over for this week unless we figure out more. Either way, um, you wonder if it's more of a, a scheme or a systematic issue or if it's just more of a lack of personnel. I, I do think the Dallas team has enough to be able to get a win versus L.A. Uh, by the way, L.A., uh, less than four yards per play in their week one game. That's not uh, – scored 17 points. Too. That's not good. So no. I, I think you're right. I think uh, I like Dallas and Houston in those spots as well. Uh, if you had to pick, are you would you take Houston right now to win the title? I would. Yeah, that'd be the favorite. I, th- I think Houston and DC look like two of the best teams. Um, the, New York's in that, in that category as well. I think Dallas is probably somewhere in the fourth spot. Um, probably next to Tampa Bay. Those are the top three teams on there. Good job, Brady Quinn. Look at you. Oh, Brady, the gambler Quinn. He's no, <laughs> it's only one week, man. It's a crapshoot. We all could be <laughs> dead wrong about this. RJ White, 4-0 on his XFL picks. So check those out at sportsline.com slash join. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Taysom Hill and his future as the franchise quarterback for the New Orleans Saints.
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the last 48 hours on, or like the last 72 hours or whatever it was on Twitter and social media, and for whatever reason, I don't know who we blame for this. Maybe Mike Florio was the, the uh, what do you call it, the patient zero for this. I'm not sure. But um, there's been a lot of Taysom Hill talk. Taysom Hill himself <laughs> said he wants to be a franchise quarterback. This is peak off-season stuff. I don't know if you saw my tweet about 30 for 30, about the 48 hours that we, we wasted our lives on talking about uh, mountains mountains into Taysom Hills. See, that's the name of the 30 for 30. It's a right. little joke. No, I like uh, it. Actually, that could be the title one day. Yeah. Uh, what do you – where do you stand on Taysom Hill as like, do you buy the idea that the if Drew Brees retires and Saints just be like, well, let's just go with Taysom Hill. Are you buying this? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's some truth there. I mean, for starters, he's restricted. He's a restricted free agent. So um, the, the Saints will obviously have the opportunity to keep him if they want, depending on the type of tenor they put him on and then depending on who would, you know, look at trying to acquire his services from him. So uh, he, I mean, he's obviously going to be in the roster. We don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to retire and go in the broadcast booth like Drew Brees. And I do think Teddy Bridgewater, just from the conversation with him at Super Bowl, I think he fully expects to go somewhere else in free agency. I think he's done kind of being the third guy in the room and wants his opportunity. So I think he's moving on. So for that reason, Taysom will definitely be there. It's really down to what in what capacity. Whether or not he can be a franchise quarterback, I think is uh, an interesting question. Because Sean Payton thinks he can. Because he sees him this small sample size and he sees the effectiveness of it. The problem is, is such a small sample size. And we act like he wasn't a quarterback prospect back when he came out from BYU. Like he was 26 years old when he entered the league. He had been through a bunch of injuries, which is one of the reasons why he was there for such a long period of time outside of the fact that it's BYU, you know, you take your missions, et cetera. Um, so that plays a factor as well. But like he played as a quarterback at BYU, very similar to how they use him as a quarterback in Sean Payton's system. And he got injured, he got hurt. And so what's to think that at what 30 this year, he's not going to be subjected to those same injuries. If you put that on a bigger scale and on a longer season at a higher level. So that's my concern is the first is injury. And then the other is I don't necessarily know that he can play from the pocket anywhere close to the degree that Drew Brees does, or even a franchise quarterback for that matter. 
I mean, and, no, Drew Brees is a first ballot slam dunk Hall of right. Fame quarterback. And he was, like, what, three of six last year? I mean, so we're all of a sudden we're anointing him. Career passing attempts. Wait, yeah. It's insane. Somewhere Michael Thomas is saying to himself, please, God, no, let Drew Brees come back at least for another <laughs> year. Um, because he, he's going to be impacted the most by all this if Taysom Hill did take over. His, his yards per reception might go up. He might be like a wide receiver for Navy. Um, but his, his targets and his receptions are going to go way down. Um, yeah, I'm not buying into it though. Like, I, I think the Saints will do what they can to keep him because he is versatile. He's a changeup. But I, I think if like Sean Payton's doing this to like prove he can win with a prototypical pocket passer and a guy who's athletic and showcase his ability to install an offense that's similar to Baltimore and kind of take the league by storm, it'd be a mistake. And if, if they do go that route, they do need to backload the second and third string QBs as being athletic guys. Or they need to have a guy who's going to be more of a pocket passer that's just an insurance policy so they can you know, actually get through games with whoever would be the backup and not subject them to more injuries. Let me ask you this. And we, we, you know, semi-spoiler, but we touched on a little bit on, uh, Friday's show, which has already been pre-recorded because it's mailbag. But, um, we were sort of talking about like, if Drew Brees retires, everybody's like, well, they're just going to go with Taysom Hill. Uh, wouldn't you as a free agent quarterback, if you're, Tom, if you're Tom Brady or, or Philip Rivers or uh, I mean, maybe even Cam Newton or Andy Dalton who aren't free agents or Marcus Mariota, like, wouldn't you be like, man, the, the one place I really want to go now is New Orleans? It would definitely be at the top of the list. And, and I, I think that's why um, as, as New Orleans tries to figure out like what they want to do, if – like I need to even think with the Dallas Cowboys, if they're frustrated with the Dak Prescott negotiations, it's like, dude, you're Dallas. Like you, you should be able to talk to Tom Brady or talk to Phillip Rivers and, and see what they're willing to play for the next two years for. And maybe you draft a guy that replaces you know, them after the two or three years, whatever ends up being between those two guys. Like it's worth the conversation, you know, and if you don't want to you know, have Dak Prescott or Tom Brady? Uh, Tom Brady. And, and, and I think Tom really? Brady, I, I would. I really would. Now, now, look, all that being said, that's because he's the greatest of all time. They're in a, Jerry Jones is what, 78? Jerry Jones has made it abundantly clear that he understands how short his time on this earth is, at least as it relates to being able to win a Super Bowl. Right. And like, so you know, if that's the case and you had the chance to get Tom Brady and you, you can pay him a good amount, but less than what you're going to be paying Dak for the next two years, you might contemplate that. Like you might say, well, all right, like I can build out around our team and we've got the pieces in place. To let us be a, a Super Bowl contending potential team, right? So, um, you know, that's, that's something that you should at least kick the tires on. You should at least explore. I'm, again, I'm not advocating for them to do that. I think Dak's their guy. I think, you know, he might play on the tag this year, but they'll eventually work out a long-term deal. I'm just saying, like, every team should try to see if they can upgrade at every single position. That, that's how you, that's how you try to win a Super Bowl. That's how you try to be the best you can be. I mean, there's probably, I mean, look, Tom Brady didn't carry the Patriots offense this year, but he also had a bad offensive line relative to what New England's had. And he had horrible skill position guys, like the worst that he's had since 2006, really. So it, to me, it's not a stretch to say that he could go to Dallas behind that offensive line with that run game, uh, with Mike McCarthy pulling the triggers and, and Kellen Moore there as well with, but that's maybe the thing. So that, that, that's the wild card of this all is Kellen Moore supposedly is calling plays, right? I mean, Kellen Moore leveraged the fact that he was desired. He could have went back to Washington at the college level and been a play caller. Plays? I think McCarthy's going to call plays, but Kellen Moore's the OC. I, I think it's the other way around. I mean, I think Kellen Moore is, is the OC and is going to call plays. You can look that up. But I think that's what the agreement they came upon 
which I thought was odd, like to be quite honest with you. But I, I do I, think it's I, yeah, you're right. Hmm. So I do think that's a point of leverage where Kellen Moore might have said to, to Mike or Jerry Jones or whoever makes that decision ultimately, hey, I'll stay, but you got to let me continue to keep calling plays. And if you're Tom Brady, are you signing up for that? Like even hmm. Philip Rivers for that matter, are you are you signing up for that? So it's it is interesting to think like where that comes up in, in the whole conversation. Like the roster looks great. It's Dallas. There's no state income tax. You know, they could pay him a lot. But would he want Kellen Moore to be the play caller for him, or would he say, yeah, maybe we need to make it Mike McCarthy, who's actually calling the plays? It's a great point, and it makes you sort of – makes at least makes me sort of wonder when you think about how that whole negotiation went down and Kellen Moore's like, hey, I want to call plays. And, and Mike McCarthy's like, well, listen, I gave up play calling once, and I almost got in trouble for it, so I said I'd never do it again. And then Jerry Jones is like, well, listen here, Mike. What we're going to do is Kellen's going to call plays. And Mike's like, what? well, Jerry, I really think he's like, no, 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 Kellen's going to call the plays. Um, and is, it, is, this, is this actually – do you think there's a chance this, this is actually um, like during the pillow talk when they had the sleepover? Do you think they got – do you think they got it then? I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you well, – you probably didn't. Maybe Mike was like falling asleep. We yeah. got a uh, – let me see if I can find this email. We got a shout-out. The, the most popular episode, I believe, in January, all of January, was our – Dak was our Mike McCarthy sleepover episode where you and I broke down, you, me, and Ryan broke down uh, what we thought uh, 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 Mike McCarthy and uh, Jerry Jones did. <laughs> but do you think maybe that was like the game, like Jerry and Mike, and, and they're they're talking, but then like Mike starts to fall asleep and Jerry notices and he's like, oh, hey, by the way, Kellen's going to call the plays. What did you say, Jerry? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Sleep, sleep tight. Sleep tight, young fella. Or like, it's like when I forget to like add something to like our family calendar. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to get in trouble for not adding this. So I wait till my wife goes to sleep and then then add it to the calendar, like go find her phone and like clear out the alert. And be like, It's been on the calendar the whole time. Oh, come on. Dude. My wife has like, literally told me like, oh, we might need to buy this and this. And I'm like, I don't recall any of that. She's like, oh, yeah, you might have fallen asleep. I'm like, that doesn't give you the right to go out and buy whatever you want then. Right. Yeah. Just because so I didn't just- object to it. <laughs> yeah. Just cause she was like, well, you were, you were like, I draw, you know, I, 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 I put some like, uh, uh, what's the stuff in Turkey? The, uh, uh, the, uh, tryptophan? Tryptophan. She's like, yeah, she like dumps some tryptophan in your drink at night. You pass out and she's like, Hey, Brady, I'm just going to buy this new necklace. Uh, if you don't want me to speak up or else I'm going to get it. And you're like, exactly. Yeah. I fall asleep. I've actually been tracking my sleep lately. I will fall asleep somewhere in the ballpark of six to nine minutes. Six to you're nine. Like, that's how long. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a short, nice time period for you. I know. I fall right asleep. So by the time you get in bed, six to nine minutes? Yeah, dude. Like as soon as I turn on the little tracker and kind of roll over, lights are out, six What's to nine minutes. Is it like a, just a Fitbit? I think it's a, a, no, it's, it's, you know, it's through my phone, but I think it's an app called like Pillow. It's actually pretty good. Although I'm too cheap to pay for like the legit version where it like does all this other stuff and gives you all these other readings. So I basically just, NFL quarterback, you won't buy the premium. Oh, dude, I still have the free version of Pandora. Like I, I will not pay just to skip the commercials. I'm like, I grew up with the radio. I will yeah, gladly sure. listen to radio advertisements, even if they do happen to be things that I was just talking about because my phone's listening to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, hey there, uh, fellow non-sleeper, check out Pillow. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you mean? Like, one of my buddies, I think I were talking about boner pills one time, and all of a sudden we, we, we had it on, and, and we were like just kind of talking about like at what age do you really feel like it's necessary to get those, and like what are you willing to sacrifice if you're going to take a boner pill? And and then next thing you know, there's an advertisement that comes on. I, I, I look at them. I'm like, they are listening. They are listening. They're targeting us with their boner pill ads. 
in in defense of the boner pill ads that you speak of, those things are on like twenty four seven. Yeah, that is true. I, I didn't want to necessarily bring that up because because I feel like they come on quite often. But then That's I thought, true, like, am right? I talking about boner That's... pills all the time, or is this just part of the the advertisement? I hadn't even considered this just a targeted assault on me. Like, it's like just <laughs> hey, buddy, <laughs> they they know who Will is. They're like, hey. We know you will, and you need boner pills. It's like, hey, get Roman. You lose it. It's like, I'm not losing my hair. I don't need boner pills. Get out of here. It's Seriously, ridiculous. they've had a, such a strong campaign lately. I'm like questioning if I even need them at this point. And granted, by the time you're listening to this podcast, I will have a third child, three under four. I can promise you, I do not need those. But they've advertised them so much, I'm like, maybe I do. Maybe I can I be thought, more potent. I thought the three children under four thing was going to be maybe I do need the hair issue with the get Roman. Like maybe my hair is going to start falling out because I have so many young kids. No, it was in fact Brady pointing out that he doesn't need the, uh, the little blue pills. No, but again, like they've got me questioning, like, could I be more potent? Like, is there a chance that like maybe I'm, you, I'm not as potent as I need to be? I, I don't know. That's the thing is like, I'm, I'm not questioning that because of these get Roman advertisements and every other boner pill that's out there. But that's like more potent. What do you think? What do you think? Superman needs like stronger flying powers. (laughs) I don't know. Next thing you know, there might be like a kid coming out from my shower drain or something. You have no idea. He was like, please, please, please get out of this podcast. Please. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I guess we talked about Dak Prescott already. Um, Um, Got everything. Okay, cool. Just keep talking about murder pills. No, I was just say the quick thing about Dak. It's like. People are frustrated because like, oh, we already turned down $33 million before this past season. You know, what do you think he's aiming towards? I'm like, well, he wants to surpass Russell Wilson's 35 average annual salary. Um, which, you, let me ask you this. Do you think he wants that or do you think his agents want that? I think both do. I mean, obviously an agent is tied to, you know, their their player and the more you know money they make their player, the more money they make. But I also think that there's this philosophy that the next guy up is a franchise quarterback, if that's what Dallas thinks he is. He should make that, that money. Like he should, he should surpass Russell Wilson. There's that idea. The hard thing becomes where, what was if Patrick Mahomes is the next? And what happens if his deal was like an average annual salary of 38 million per year, which I do think it'll be 40, uh, at least in new money. But, you know, is, is Dak Prescott going to get paid more than Patrick Mahomes? I think all of us would say Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback, but Dak Prescott's the next guy up. So bottom line is he's going to sign a deal that it's going to try to surpass that. And, and that's just how economics work within the, the, you know, contracts in the NFL. Like Derrick Henry is going to try to surpass Zeke Kelly. It's running back, you know, deal. You know, that's what he's aiming towards. Should he? I don't know that it's up for debate, but that's what every single player that hits free agency or has the chance to is trying to do. They're trying to set the market at their position. Uh, right. And. Like, I don't think – nobody thinks Dak is actually better than Patrick Mahomes. But if the Cowboys want to wait out Patrick Mahomes signing a contract, then you're running the risk that Dak Prescott, who is an unrestricted free agent, is going to get franchise tagged, could eventually leave. I feel like – and I said – again, I'll say this on Friday's podcast because we already recorded it, so not to double, you know, double down on my take here. I just felt like – I just sitting with him for a little bit, you got the sense that he's sort of tired of all this, and he would love to just sign a contract – that pays him somewhere in the range of 33 to $35 million a year, that makes him the Dallas Cowboys quarterback for the next five years, that allows him to stop answering these questions and worrying about this stuff and to just have security at that, at, with that franchise in that job 
and the scrutiny that comes with it for the next five years. I, I just yeah. feel like that's sort of where his head's at. But that's it, a very surface level read for me on him. It is, but it's also something that like, and, and I can really only relate this because my, you know, I signed a, a first round contract when I got drafted, and we had an agreed upon terms. Again, not a lot, not not a holdout. A holdout's when you're actually under contract. You decide not to show up. That wasn't the case. I'm glad that the Brady Quinn football show allowed you to finally, after ten years after the fact, twelve years after the fact, clear the air yeah. and get back in that nasty AP reporter who called it a holdout just to just to get some dirt from the just to get to do a. Hey, was that AP reporter? You will. Do you think I was writing about your your <laughs> signing rookie deal? No, but so here's the thing: when you're a player and you're in that position, and and the the crazy thing is like. It's human nature. We're like, oh, I'd never do that if I was in their shoes. Like, yeah, you would, dude. Yeah, you would. You yeah. would, you would try to do all you can to ensure that the person you hired to give you the best possible advice would give you the best possible contract because you don't know when the next one's coming and you don't know if it is, ever is going to. So that's why, like, as much as it may stink for him to have to talk about it over and over and over again, this is his second deal. He, remember, he was a fourth round draft pick. So it's not like he got a ton of money off that pick. He got paid two million last year. So even though he's making marketing money, like this is the next chance for him to make real money. And so for that reason, it might be a pain. <clears throat> I'm sure his agent is saying, look, we need to base, you know, the, the, our contract off of the next two or three years of you getting franchise tagged. And if, if their numbers, if that's not the floor for their numbers, at least the first three years of this deal, then we can't agree to a contract with them because it doesn't make sense for us because using the, the instruments that are currently in place, like they should be abiding by, you know, that, that deal, right? Franchise tag this year around 27, north of 27 million, a second year, which, you know, what, 20% on top of that. And, and then moving on to a third year. Like that's, that's usually how, you know, these agents will approach these teams and say, this is, this is this franchise tag that you guys implemented. This is what you wanted. So this is how we're going to use it. These are the floors for the negotiation. Tell us why we should want any less than this. So, uh, let's see. Wow. So, uh, Joe, I, while you were giving that great analysis, I dug into who the people were that wrote about your holdout. Uh, Joe <laughs> Milicia, uh, Milicia, who is now no longer in the media. He's the director of PR at some, um, uh, communications at some place in Cleveland, but he's still there. Uh, and then, uh, there's an article here. Brown's growing impatient as Brady Quinn contract holdout drags on. That's Tom Withers, who's still a private reporter for the AP. The interesting thing was, and then this is like behind the scenes, it's hard to get a deal done when they like don't answer your calls. That's one of the tactics that like teams will take where they'll try to wait you out. They won't talk to you for a couple of days and they'll see if you'll fold. And one of the things that we knew going into that was, you know, Brown Edwards, Kellen Winslow, guys who were drafted before me, um, those guys had also missed some time. In fact, like I had a sheet that was, that, that showed me like, all the players who had held out for how many days and all that. So I knew exactly where I was in comparison with anyone else. And the other thing that like no one made public or reported was talking to Phil Savage, talking to Romeo Cannell. They wanted me to sit my first year. We had talked about that, like wanting to, to bring me along in the process. And so, you know, there wasn't necessarily a, a great sense of urgency, even though I wanted to go in and practice and play, there wasn't a great sense of urgency to get in there and do it right away because, you know, there wasn't the, the desire, I think on the team standpoint, I mean, you know, so long story short, that's the tough part about these negotiations is, you know, usually the teams will have, kind of have their people to talk about the narrative or, or kind of create a narrative. But the, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And, and that's why it's harder from the player standpoint, because, you know, you don't want to say too much to bite the hand that feeds you. But at the same time, 
you obviously want to get in there and play and, and do what you do. Which, by the way, I didn't miss a preseason game. I, I, I did get there, I want to say, maybe a couple of days before the first preseason game. So people act like it was like a, such a long holdout. Like, Jamarcus Russell, I think, like held out before the first week of the season or however far it went. Like, I was like, it was it paled in comparison to what he was doing. It's such an unfair situation, and not. I just think it's. A, I think it's fascinating to think about it from like 2000, because this is 2007, right? right? I mean, this is this is before. Like in 2007, there was some non-traditional wire media out there, but by and large, you were just dealing with the Associated Press, and stuff was just distributed from like and, and local newspapers, and so like the teams had so much control over the message that's being sent out there, and it gets framed as a holdout because they frame it wisely. And it gets, and you're a 22, 23 year old or 21 year old kid or however old you were. And like, you're, you just sort of, you're sort of boxed into the position. I don't know. It's, I just think it's interesting now that the player, I, while the new CBA didn't give much power, the change in the media landscape gives you much more power in terms of what you can say about your message and, and what you're doing as a, as a young player. Well, and now you have Twitter, right? I mean, exactly. I, I could have right. literally just put out statement after statement. And, and back then, like it was, you know, kind of wrong or, you know, agents would tell you just, no, no, just keep quiet or keep training, keep working out, keep doing what you're doing to prepare yourself. And and nowadays I mean, like, it's entirely In this, in this article, there's a bunch of quotes from Phil Savage and Romeo Cornell, and they're laced with, I mean, like, they're not like being jerks, but they're laced with the standard stuff you would say, like, guy isn't here. And it's like Condon could not be reached for com- comment. You know what I mean? Like, because he's like, we're not going to comment on this. We're going to just keep grinding on the thing. Right. And, you're a quarterback drafted in the first round before the old CBA. You're going to get as much money as you can. That's your job. That's your well, because it was all negotiable, right? To a degree. I mean, nowadays it's completely different. I mean, that's why a lot of these agencies, you know, they took 3% back then. Now they're saying, Hey, I'll do it for 1% or I'll do your rookie deal for free. As long as you sign with us for marketing and then we'll, you know, you know, we'll work on that second deal afterwards. So that has even changed, you know, and it's one of the reasons why there's really not much to negotiate, right? It's, it's signing bonus um, and timing of that when you receive that money and then offset language. Those are the only two things that you really negotiate now. And even the offset language is like, what, I mean, like, what are we holding out for here? If, you, if this guy doesn't make it four freaking years on your team, then that's on you, not him, for finding another job somewhere else. Right. Um, anyway, good contract talk. Good holdout. Good contract negotiation talk. Sorry, I didn't mean to use the H word. <laughs> doesn't bother me. I know. I, I, just, I just think it's a fascinating subject. Uh, Brady Quinn football show. Always fun. Make sure to check out our two-part mailbag, AFC burning questions on Thursday, plus mailbag, NFC burning questions, plus mailbag part two on Friday with the super friends. Brady Quinn, how do you see buddy? Sounds good. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.